You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. Hello, and we're glad that you have tuned in today for our third episode of Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. Hopefully you've listened to the first two episodes by now, and if you will, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast if you have not already, and maybe share it on social media or tell your friends and family about it as we are beginning this new ministry and really wanting to get good content out there for people to listen to during these troubling times. Uh, last week, we had the opportunity to listen to one of my good friends, Chris McCurley, as we talked a little bit about how to disagree respectfully in this world that we are living in. I mean, you're on social media just like I'm on social media, and I'm sure that you watch the news just like I watch the news, or maybe you read about it on the internet. Uh, there are plenty of things for people to disagree about right now, whether it be race or the coronavirus or gun control, which was an issue at the beginning of the year that we're not hearing as much about right now. But we live in a world of terrible disagreements, and the people of God have to figure out a way to disagree respectfully. We're never going to agree on everything, but in those times of disagreement, how do we still find unity? How do we still find peace? Hopefully you listened to that episode. If you haven't, you can go back and listen to it at any time. But on that idea of finding peace and disagreement, we're going to talk a little bit more about finding peace today, but <clears throat> from a little bit different angle. I've asked another good friend of mine, Chase Turner, to come on the show today. Chase lives in Monroe, Louisiana. He's been in ministry for many years. He's had an internet Spanish ministry where they produce content for the Latin-speaking world. And we were visiting before the show began today. Millions and millions of people are downloading these Bible studies every year and coming to Christ. Chase also has a unique interest in that he has tried out several times for the Ninja Warriors and has done very well with that. And in fact, he's waiting for a call today from the show going to St. Louis to see if he will be able to be on the show for that. So he's got a lot of different interests, a lot of different talents, but Chase has recently written a book about anxiousness and how to deal with anxiousness. If you aren't disagreeing with someone today, you're probably anxious about something else. Anxiousness is something that we all struggle with, and I think Chase Turner has a good grasp on how we can approach the topic of anxiousness from a biblical Christ-centered worldview. Chase, we're glad to have you today on the show. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you about the topic 
as we look at Philippians 4, it is interesting because it's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. In fact, my wife and I this morning were talking about if we were stranded on a desert island and had one chapter from the Bible, Philippians 4 would be the text we would take with us, namely because of the content that we'll look at today in dealing with how to live with peace instead of anxiety. So I'm, I'm excited to get to share a discussion with you about it. Well, sure. Well, I'm glad that we're going to be able to talk through that as well. That's interesting that you and your wife were thinking about being deserted on a lonely island. Does that have anything to do with having four children? <laughs> uh, only a little bit. Only a little uh, bit. Okay. So we probably take most of them with us. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, you certainly have plenty of things to find stress about in your life with raising four children and working in ministry and just living in this country in this time with all the fears that are circulating uh, in our culture. Chase, I've kind of told a little bit about you already with your interests, but tell us a little bit more about yourself before we get into the text today. All right. Uh, I graduated from Freed Hardeman University in 2006. My wife and I got married the summer after that and moved to Monroe to start working in this Spanish ministry that you made reference to. Last year, we had about 45 million Bible studies downloaded over the course of the year. And the pandemic slowed us down a little bit, but like you said, there's still a lot going on with that. Our four kids are 11, nine, seven, and three, and two boys, two girls. And also, as you mentioned, I had a book published at the end of last year that's done fairly well so far, and just pray that it's a blessing to a lot of people helping them uh, really figure out how they can live without anxiety. And the, the goal kind of was to empower people to understand that's a decision that oftentimes they're in control of. Sometimes they may not be, but oftentimes we are. And so we also started a local Spanish congregation here where I live. And so I'm the, uh, I guess, volunteer full-time minister for that group of people uh, in our area. Okay, so you've got a lot going on. You've got the internet ministry, you've written a book, uh, you're a faithful husband, you've got four children, I know you're a wonderful father, and you're doing the Ninja Warrior thing too. Tell us a little bit about the Ninja Warrior and then we'll get going on on the scripture. Sure. Um, Several years ago, my brother asked me if I'd be interested in competing on the show or at least trying, and I said, there's no way I can do any of that stuff. And and so about two years after we had that conversation, I thought I'm going to give it a go. And so I I met some neat people in training and met the right people for testing the courses. And so last year, a real good friend of mine here locally and I, we trained and he actually got the call to be on the show and I was a walk on for the show. And so now we have relationships with people that are directors of the show. So that whether we get selected to compete or uh, if we don't get selected to compete, we at least get to test all of the stuff that you see on TV that uh, people are testing on the course. And so it's a lot of fun. It's a good way to uh, burn energy, stay in shape, and just have camaraderie with other people that like to exercise in maybe an extreme fashion. And didn't you tell me at one time that you had to drive a long way to get to a Ninja Warrior type practice gym? Is that correct? Oh, yes. I drove eight hours um, one time ago over to Texas. Um, trying to think of the city it was in, Austin. Uh-huh. And the traffic over there was enough to make you never want to go back. Wow. <laughs> it was pretty bad. It was a lot of fun. It was an eight-hour drive to uh, go over there and 
work out a little bit. Okay. Okay. Well, God bless you for that. That is your spiritual gift. That is certainly uh, not mine, but best of luck in your Ninja Warrior efforts and hope it doesn't bring too much anxiousness into your life over that. So you've already referenced it a little bit, but we're going to kind of talk about Philippians 4 because of all the passages in the Bible that help us not be anxious. Um, as you said, this, this one may be the most helpful I'll go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. But if you know anything about the book of Philippians, to those who are listening, this is by far the most positive letter that Paul writes in his ministry. Uh, He loves the church at Philippi. They have a long history. They have been not only spiritual and emotional supporters of his ministry, but also financial supporters, and he mentions that throughout the letter. Now, he's in prison when he writes this, which is so remarkable that he's in such a good mood. And I think there's a great lesson in that today for us in our faith. But Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 7, is where we're going to be today. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Chase, before we start talking about those individual verses, I'm just curious, uh, when you and your wife, Kristen, were talking about this, uh, you know, the idea of being deserted, and if you only had one passage to look at the rest of your life, what is it about those verses that you think makes the cut for you and her on this being that passage? It, it really goes to the context of our discussion these verses are verses people are generally familiar with, I think, just about being about anxiety. And, and a lot of times people are familiar with chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's the verses in between 8 and 12 mm-hmm. that kind of really speak to verses 4 and 7. And Paul, Paul really kind of builds on that. But the idea of peace being a choice that we make because it's very hard to live in peace and anxiety at the same time. I don't think you can do that. And so if, if we were on an island, just the, the two of us are just our family, finding contentment mm-hmm. is the key to overcoming anxiety. Right. And this book speaks to how you do that. This section especially uh, speaks to how you do that. So it's kind of the base for our conversation. Right. And that's interesting. You use that terminology about if we were by ourselves on an island, um, what you're describing is a physical isolation. But Christians right now, it's so easy for us to feel like we are living on that proverbial island. Like, you know, we are we are aliens in a foreign world. Um, Who believes what we believe? Uh, Kind of the words of of, you know, the great prophet Elijah when he wondered, God, am I the only one left? You know, when you see how the world is crumbling, it can feel very lonely. And so whether we are isolated physically or spiritually, 
I like what you said here. It brings a lot of comfort to us. Now, Chase, when I read this, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it seems like Paul is connecting peace with gentleness. Uh, in verse 5, before he talks about not being anxious in verse 6, in verse 5 he says, Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. So I guess that's one of my first questions for us to talk about for a few moments is, why is gentleness tied to peace? I, I think verse 4, it, it's kind of an overflow of joy. Okay. Because having a, a joyful or a, a gentle, when I think of somebody that's joyful, uh, I think about gentleness. Somebody, and there's a, a specific person that comes to my mind is my coworker's wife. She's such a joyful person that she has a peace about her in that joy. And I think as Paul addresses these two ladies in chapter four and verse two, uh, and I know our, our text was four through seven, but it's very hard for me not to read verse two as I go to it. But to me, the theme of the whole book has to do with the mindset of Christ. Uh-huh. And when he tells them in verse two, I urge Yodi and Sinti to live in harmony. That word live in harmony is the word phroneo that he uses in chapter two in verse five, where he says, have the mindset of Christ. It's just translated live in harmony. And so as he encourages them to do that, he wants them to find joy and peace. Uh So verse four, I think when he says rejoice, I mean, he's still speaking to that context. And so the idea of gentleness and, and joy being tied to peace is you can't have peace if you don't have joy. Joy is what comes from that relationship with God, that harmony, that mindset that he wants us to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really good information, particularly your use of the Greek there. And I know most people don't uh, read Greek or understand Greek, but when he's telling these two ladies, Yodi and Syntyche, to basically you know, cool it <laughs> and mm-hmm. knock it off and get along. When he says agree with each other, he, you're right. He uses that term, you agree with the mindset of Christ. It's not like two political candidates finally coming to a compromise and agreeing on an issue or agreeing on a vote that they need to make before Congress. It's you, you agree in the way that Jesus would have you agree, how Jesus would have you agree. And I think that's a great point that, that sentiment of agreeing with the mindset of Christ is what produces the gentleness. Um, Jesus was very gentle. Gentleness is not necessarily, well, it's never wimpiness, but it's not necessarily always calmness. Uh, You can be firm and gentle at the same time, uh, but there will never be peace without gentleness and there will never be gentleness without the mindset of Christ. So I think that's that's an excellent observation. So he says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. And to me that's kind of like Jesus's statement in Matthew six when Jesus says, Do not worry about anything. And you're like, okay, you know, really? I mean, is this literal here or is this just kind of a a hopeful way for you to live? What are your thoughts on that? You know, that, that verse in, in Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, that was the basis for the whole book uh, that I ended up writing. And I was told a long time ago, the best way to break down verse 6 here 
is to translate it, be anxious for no thing. And so there's not a single individual thing in this life that should cause us to lose our peace. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you translate anxiety as the lack of peace, then there's not a single thing that should cause us to lose that peace. Now, what that doesn't mean is that we're not going to have worries. I think there's a difference between anxiety and worry okay. or stress or stress rather. And so he doesn't say don't stress out about anything. He says, don't be anxious. Don't let something steal your peace. And Paul makes reference, even as he writes this in other books where he says, I was concerned for, I was worried for, you know, in 2 Corinthians 11, on top of all these beatings and things I've endured, there's the daily concern for the churches. Right. And so he had concerns and he had stresses put upon him, but that didn't take away his peace. It didn't give him anxiety. It didn't cause him to lose his focus. Um, and I really think the idea of being anxious about nothing has more to do with a lifestyle than a choice. Mm. It's, it's not, oh, I decided not to do this. It's, I live this way. There are going to be things that impact me from all directions, but my lifestyle is one that doesn't cause me to have anxiety. That's a great point. So this is not a one-time occurrence. This is just who you are. Uh, you are not living a reactionary life. You're living out of habit. Um, and I think you're exactly right that anxiousness, uh, you use the word stress. I've often used the word concerned. Um, just because you're concerned about something doesn't necessarily mean that you are anxious about something. I think we're all concerned about our country. I mean, I don't know how you don't turn the TV on and not feel some concern when you see the tremendous amount of hatred and discord in our country. Uh, I don't know how you find a way not to be concerned about the church with what the church is having to endure. And uh, when we've gone virtual, how long will this last? And when it's over, will people, I mean, that's the question every preacher is asking. When, when the coronavirus is gone, whenever that may be, and virtual church is no more, will I have an audience on Sunday? <laughs> are they going to come back? Or are they going to get used to staying at home in their pajamas? You know, that is a real concern. But there's a difference, I think, in what Paul's talking about, and you're alluding to that very well. That's not anxiousness. That's not anxiousness. So how, how do we know then, uh, Chase, when we've crossed from concern or stress to anxiousness? I think anxiety is debilitating. It, it causes us to not find our purpose and, or, or not achieve our purpose. And so I think in order to identify where stress crosses over is, is basically seen in our response to it. And so if our response to uh, stresses that are our concerns for the church causes us not to achieve what our higher purpose is, then I think at that point it has become anxiety and we need to find a way to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. And I think for our discussion, we're going to see Paul tells us, 
maybe not how to identify, but how to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because identifying the problems, I think, is something each individual has to do because only they, if they want to live, if we want to live without anxiety, I think we have to do three things primarily. One, we have to know what that higher purpose is. Mm -hmm. uh, whether we're in ministry or, or whether we look at just family relationships or whatever that higher purpose is, we need to know what that is. Uh, number two, and as we'll discuss in that, I think we have to view life through gratitude. Um, you know, it, it's a lot easier to get caught up in letting our stresses turn into anxiety if we're not living a lifestyle of gratitude. Right, right. And I, I think that goes hand in hand just with serving others as a, a general way to live. Sure, sure. Very good, very good. And, you know, those are great explanations. Some of them are a little bit more abstract uh, to define, but I think, you know, it's been proven medically, scientifically, and Jesus alludes to it as well in Sermon on the Mount. You will see some physiological effects on your body uh, when your blood pressure is out of control, when you're not sleeping at night, um, when your emotional health is not well, you are no longer concerned. You are no longer stressed. You are anxious. Mm -hmm. You are worrying beyond a reasonable amount. And both Paul and Jesus, both of them use imperative language here. This is command language. Do not do this, right? Do not commit adultery. Do not be anxious. Do not steal. Same language, same command type of authority. So we've got to look at this not as a self-help thing, but more as an obedient thing. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so when he says don't be anxious by, about anything, he kind of gives a little bit of advice on how you help keep anxiousness at bay when he talks about prayer and petition and thanksgiving. You've alluded to the thanksgiving a little bit, but he uses two words there, prayer and petition. Is there a difference between those two things, between prayer and petition? I think by definition, yes. Um, yes I'm not a Greek scholar at all, um, but I, I have studied this book a lot and looked at the Greek words, how they're used throughout the book, just for personal benefit. And uh, the word prayer that he uses there is more of um, worship. And it's also translated as worship. And the word petition is a request okay but i love how he uses the flow of those words when he says your request with thanksgiving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like as you make requests you should be grateful a lot of times when we think about making requests well if we get our request then we'll be thankful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we should be thankful to make the request oh that's good yeah that's that's part of that relationship with god because we know, according to other books that Paul has written in the Gospels, that when we ask things, we can expect an answer. Um, but then the idea of just prayer being worship, um, when he says, I prayer, but he says, in everything. And so that idea of in every, it's not in everything make requests, it's in everything with prayer. And everything with worship, the way that we view God, the way that we communicate to God should be done in that way. Man, that's so good. That's just, you know, I'll sit and 
maybe layman everyday terms, if you want anxiousness to be at bay in your life, spend time with me. Let's talk. Right? Let's not only have conversations when you need something. And yes. I, I love what you said there about uh, not being thankful because we get our requests, but being thankful that we can make the request. If, if we stop and think about it, that we have the right through Jesus to approach Almighty God to bring to Him our concerns, I mean, that is an amazing blessing that we so often take for granted. So I, I love what you're saying there. I think there's a big difference between prayer and petition, um, and you have eloquently described that difference. One is communion with God, adoring God, magnifying God. The other is, okay, here's here's the things I'm concerned about. Here are the things I need in my life, but I don't want to just ask you for something. I want to adore you before I ask you. Um and doing both of those things, I, I do think, tremendously help keep anxiousness at bay. So then he says, okay, once you go to God through prayer, worship, as you're pointing out, and petition with thanksgiving, God is going to send his peace, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. This peace is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ. So, Chase, talk with us about that. How does the peace of God guard? That's an interesting word that Paul uses. How does it guard our hearts and our minds? I want to point out one thing. Um, the word peace there is also translated prosperity. Okay. And I think it's interesting the way this is worded because he says, and the prosperity or the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. So this inanimate object that, that we can't really see, he says, we can't fully understand it either. But this magnificent gift God is giving us, if we'll do what he says in verse 6, the word guard there literally means to watch in advance or to protect. Mm. And so if we'll do what he asks us to do in verse 6 or tells us to do in verse 6, then I believe the peace of God or, or the prosperity, the God is the most generous being that has ever existed. That's the example we have. His generosity will take care of us to the point that it is constantly looking out for us, this mindset that we have. Because the two most difficult pieces of the human existence, the two easiest places to be attacked that are not seen are our hearts and our minds. And he's telling us if we, in verse six, will be anxious for nothing, if we will choose peace over anxiety, if we will choose prayer over worry, then the, the byproduct of that is that we get to feel mm. within our hearts, within our minds, this relationship with God, his prosperity that surrounds us. And again, it's difficult because we can't always see it. Right. We're, we're very physical people. When I was talking to Kristen this morning, uh, part of this text that we were talking about was interesting because if we will visualize this whole process for us when it comes to burdens and worry 
if we will visualize taking what we have and putting it on Jesus' back, if we will visualize handing it and putting it in his hands, because that's what he wants us to do. Mm-hmm. If we'll visualize that, it sounds kind of silly as we go through life to say, Jesus, let me help you with that. Right, right. Jesus asked us to give it to him, we give it to him, and then we choose to say, no, let me have some of that back. Well, no, that's not the way that relationship's supposed to work. Right, right. And the way that we feel when we don't have a 100-pound backpack on our back, getting kind of back to the question, what does it look like or what does that feel like? It's a burden. If you've ever had, if you ever carried a you know a 50-pound child for 20 steps in a, a park or whatever, when you put them down, that release of blood flow and energy you receive back when you let go of that weight, mm-hmm. to me, that's the piece to where we can function. It's hard to function when you're holding an extra 50 pounds, 100 pounds. And so when we release that weight, I think the visualization of that helps us understand the calm and the energy we receive from not carrying the burden of anxiety that God tells us that we shouldn't have anyway. Mm. Man, that is great illustrations about putting something on on the Lord and how ludicrous it is when Jesus says, give it to me. And then like you're saying, we we do maybe at the beginning, but then we request to have it have it back. Those are good words, Chase. When you were talking about the the (laughs) rush of blood flow after putting down a child, you know, that you've been carrying. I was laughing the other day thinking about when my oldest son, Hayden, was about five and kind of really started getting into riding bikes. We went to go ride to what was called in Wichita Falls, the Big Dirt Hill, which was about three miles from our house. So it was like a six-mile round-trip bike ride, not that far, but pretty far for a five-year-old. And it was pretty hilly at some places to get there from our house. And I took a bike trailer with me that I pulled our middle child in Hudson because he was still one or two. And the only reason I took the bike trailer was I carried water in there because I knew Hayden was going to get tired because he didn't want to take water. So I just threw the water and stuff in the bike trailer and it was just easier to ride with the bike trailer and have to get it unhooked and everything. Well, we're coming back home from the dirt mountain and Hayden falls and skins his knee when we're about two and a half miles from the house. And so he got in the bike trailer with his bike in his hands. And so I pedaled the whole way home, me, the trailer, a five-year-old, and a bike. And as soon as we got to the house, he was like, Dad, I'm not tired anymore. Let's keep riding. (laughs) (laughs) And by that point, you know, I was exhausted. I was like, I don't want to ride anymore. But what you're saying, when you let someone else do the pedaling for you, that energy comes back. Um and that's what God's asking us to do here. Let let me let me put it on my shoulders and and I will guard your heart and I'll guard your mind. The the two things as you pointed out that have the most control over us, our mental well-being and our emotional well-being, God will guard both of those. Very good thoughts on that, Chase. Uh, anything else on those few verses where we look at one more verse for just a few moments? No, I'm, I'm just Summing up what you concluded there, I think oftentimes we fail to realize what we're implicating when we take on our own burdens. Mm. It's almost as though we're saying, 
Jesus, you're not strong enough for this one. Let me help you carry my own burden. Mm. And, and Jesus already did what was necessary to carry whatever burden it is that we have. And regardless of the burden, I think sometimes we think our bigger burdens are, are too much to let go of, so to speak. And Jesus is strong enough. Right, right. So Paul's saying that if, if we do this, if we turn it all over to God, um, anxiousness will not have any part of our life. God's going to guard our hearts and our minds with his peace. So we will be people of peace. And I want to finish today by going back over to what Jesus said um, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. At the beginning of it, what we have historically called the Beatitudes. Uh, It's a great introduction to a sermon. All kinds of people are there um, listening on these green hills that roll down to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is sitting down to teach them, so he's very calm and gentle in his presentation. But toward the end of those Beatitudes in verse 9 of Matthew 5, Jesus brings up peace. And he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, Chase, would you say it's impossible for us to be a peacemaker if we ourselves are not people of peace? Yeah, that would seem very, very difficult. Yes, impossible to do. Yeah, that, that would seem logical, right? So, so Jesus is saying we will be blessed if we're people of peace, specifically if we are peacemakers, and we can't be a peacemaker if we ourselves aren't people of peace. But his term peace, peacemaker, is there a difference between a peacemaker and maybe a peacekeeper? I think so. Um, The word peacemaker there, or or peaceable, depending on the translation, and blessed are the the peaceable, Mm -hmm. um, I think kind of helps illustrate the fact that it's somebody that leads by example. Mm -hmm. And I think a peacekeeper has more to do with one who helps others maintain peace in their life or at least find it. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest takeaway, the biggest tie between Philippians 4 and Matthew 5 and also Matthew 6 that you've referenced is that nearly 100%, if not 100% of anxiety in life is within relationships with people. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a single thing that at the very root of it doesn't involve at least more than one person. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so important, whether it's within the family, within the church, within the world, wherever we find ourselves, that we are peaceable and we help other people through our example to find that peace. And sometimes it's going to be more than our example. Sometimes people are going to need to talk. Sometimes they're going to need words of wisdom to help find that peace because it's it's very difficult to find and maintain peace on your own. Yes, yes, absolutely. Particularly when God did not design us to live that way. Um, would you agree, Chase, that when you look at the terms peacemaker and peacekeeper, one is intentional while the other is more reactionary? 
I think it has to be because peacekeeper means, you know, it, it's not the description. I think peacemaker may describe somebody peacekeepers in action. Right. You know, keeping the peace is something someone does. Peacemaker, maybe the, or peaceable is kind of a lifestyle somebody lives. Right. And, and I've said in many, uh, leadership meetings with churches as you have and um, the discussion has come up well we don't need to make this decision because it could ruffle some feathers or uh, disrupt what's going on and then you ask someone well is is this the right thing that we need to do well it may be the right thing to do but right now we just don't need to do it because we need to keep the peace you know, there are passages in the New Testament that value the spirit of unity and the bond of peace. So this is by no means diminishing the value of peace. But Jesus here is not telling us to be reactionary. Jesus is telling us to be intentional. You make peace, right? You bring about God's will in places where God's will is not being done. And sometimes that causes tension. But that doesn't disqualify one from being a peacemaker if it's the thing that God wants to happen. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I agree 100% because no matter what decision you make, somebody's going to lose their peace over it. You can't please every single person, and that's one of the burdens of leadership. Is and, and it's not necessarily, and I think this is one of the ways we go wrong sometimes within the church, is it's not necessarily do what's best for the biggest group of people, mm-hmm. but that's the way we treat it. Mm-hmm. It's do what's best according to God's will. Mm-hmm. And because I think a lot of times you, we underestimate the peace of God that, that will help people as decisions are made to find maybe a deeper peace than they had than going with the status quo. Sometimes, like you said, feathers may need to be ruffled. Mm-hmm. I really believe the the fundamental characteristic of growth is change. Right. And so if we're not willing to change, it's hard to grow. And growth sometimes causes people to have less peace and some people more peace. But I think the movement we need to go towards is growth and maintaining peace as we do it. Right. And Jesus himself, who is referred to as the Prince of Peace, (laughs) Jesus once said, I have not come to bring peace peace, but to bring sword. (laughs) So there were times when Jesus understood we can't take the easy way out. And being a peacekeeper, that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy just to go along, to get along, and to value the status quo rather than getting done what needs to get done. And Jesus says here on the Sermon on the Mount, you can't be those types of people if you want to have a blessed life. You have to be a peacemaker. And Jesus says, these are the ones who will be called uh, sons of God. But as we pointed out, you can't be a peacemaker if you yourself are not a person of peace. And uh, anxiousness, particularly in our world, is going to do its very best, and it's going to succeed many times from keeping the people of God from being good people of peace. Chase, tell us a little bit more about your book. I know you've worked really hard on it, and I want people to know about it. So tell us a little bit more about it. 
so I was speaking in Minnesota, had an experience, I won't tell the whole story, but basically came to find out how much I was valuing the opinions of other people um, about what they, or my perception of their opinions of me. And I had no way of knowing what that was. And so people have asked me, you know, why did you write the book? And the experience I had helped to empower me to understand that anxiety, and we're not talking about PTSD, we're not talking about extreme medically diagnosed, we're talking about general day-to-day anxiety that Philippians addresses, that Matthew addresses in Jesus' words. But I wrote the book to help people understand that so much, if not all of the general anxiety we have is because of choices that we make. Mm -hmm. And so in every relationship in our life, if we will take these, the, the trials method, some people have called it, these six characteristics of transparency, responsibility, intentionality, appreciation, limits, and simplifying. If we'll take those six areas and in every relationship of our life, we will implement them. I really feel like anxiety can be avoided in all of our relationships. Right. That's not to say that it's easy. And for somebody who, like myself, that has been doing this for a long time, it's easier than somebody who's lived a life full of anxiety and say, well, I can't be transparent now. There's there's way too much stuff to uncover, you know, or saying I can't be responsible now. A lot of this is a learned process. And so through the book, I give a lot of examples and, and trying to cover every area of life from finances to jobs to marriage to raising kids to physical health spiritual health prayer leadership grief um, prayer and how each of these six areas really kind of thread through every area of life and helping people overcome stress and anxiety right absolutely absolutely and i know that god's blessing your work with this book and you're getting to speak at a lot of different places and so i want to tell people if they're listening to this podcast the uh, best way probably to get a hold of Chase is to email him at chase at trialsbook.com. Is that right, Chase? That is correct. Chase at trialsbook.com. He can tell you more about his speaking schedule, and I'm guessing the book is obviously on Amazon. Yes, they can get the book on Amazon. They can search for my name or the title of the book, Trials, A Journey from Anxiety to Peace. And I had mentioned to you before, it's, right now it's available in Spanish. It'll be available in Portuguese and German before the year is over. And hopefully we'll be able to do some good things through the nonprofit with the profits of all those books. Okay. And if you make it to Ninja Warriors, you will just give us all a free copy. That's absolutely right. When you get on Ninja Warrior, just email me. I'll send you your free copy. <laughs> okay. Chase, I want to ask you one more question before we end today. Since we've talked about being people of peace and then taking that one step further to being peacemakers. As we look at this world that we're living in um, and as we move forward in the days and weeks and months to come, how can we as Christians do a better job of being peacemakers in this world? Um, I think we have to see the value of it, the blessing of it before um, we can really grasp uh, how to do that. And I think, like we talked about a while ago, it has to do with relationships. 
in every relationship we have, we choose whether we're going to have a heart of war uh-huh. or a heart of peace between us. The book Anatomy of Peace by the Harbinger Institute mm-hmm. is so good to describe the way we look at people. And we as Christians have to learn to be people as people, not as objects. Right. Right. Because uh, that book suggested all the times we'll put ourselves in a box, we'll put other people in a box. And when we're in boxes, we don't view people as people. We view them as objects mm-hmm. and how, you know, when we objectify people, it's very difficult to maintain peace or even to have peace at all. Sure. sure. That reminds me of a quote, you know, I'm sure you've heard it about evangelism as well. But a quote that's always stuck with me is you cannot share a faith that you yourself don't possess. Um, And I've tried to remember that in my life, whether it be preaching or personal work with people. I can't tell someone else about God if I don't if I don't know God. And I think this is the same concept for being a peacemaker. I'll never be able to help bring peace to this world if I myself am not a person of peace. If I'm not a person of deep prayer, worship, petition, and letting God do the hard work for me, letting God guard my heart for me, letting God guard my mind for me, I'll never be a peacemaker if I'm not letting God do the heavy lifting. So, Chase, I really appreciate your time today. I know you have a very busy schedule, so I appreciate uh, your comments and insights. And this is now our third episode with Road Talk. I sure appreciate those who are tuning in. Please, again, go ahead and subscribe and share this. And we're going to end today's episode the way we've ended the first two and how I plan to end every episode moving forward. First of all, I ask you to keep your eyes on heaven. And secondly, remember that on this journey of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready by navigating your journey. Have a great week. May God bless you and do everything you can this week not to be anxious. Take care.